The reading comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 41, and can be found on page 1031 in the Church Bibles. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching, because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. From the passage which was read to us this evening, I want to talk to you about the subject of authority. Authority. Here's a picture of someone with authority. If you ignore the police lady with authority, it's probably illegal, it's certainly unwise, and usually dangerous. Someone with authority is someone who has the right to be obeyed. Now, let me say straight away, the subject of authority is very unpopular in our society around us today. Yesterday, I opened my newspaper and saw there was an interview with, they say, a famous actor. The fact that I didn't know who he was uh, just tells you how little I know about contemporary theatre. But nevertheless, the very first words of the interview from this actor were these. He says, I've always had issues with authority. And there are lots of people like that, aren't they? Uh, you admire nowadays the rebel who uh, has it against the 
authorities. And everybody wants to be their own authority. They rather resent the fact that they should have to obey anybody at all. But you don't have to go to the theatres to see that. You just have to go to the kindergarten. You just have to see the toddlers now who are becoming so uh, stroppy that they're getting complaints from their parents that they can't handle the children preschool. Have pity then for the teachers who have these children who resent all authority. And uh, I want to be careful what I say here, uh, but uh, teenagers have a kind of... uh, uh, air about them today, don't they? They, they have a kind of reputation that uh, they're against anybody who tells them what they ought to do. But seriously, it's in the workplace, isn't it? It's in the whole of society around us. This dislike of authority which we have to bend to. Now, I want to say also this evening that for me in particular... I'm interested in this decline in authority because it's one of the reasons, not the only reason, it's one of the reasons why people have gone off preaching. I'm glad to say that we still have preaching in this church, but there are many churches where preaching has become less and less important. Oh yes, there's much more popular to have discussion groups where everybody can have their own say and whether they can all take part. And nobody is wrong, it's just your different story and other people's different story. There's a posh name for it, it's called postmodernism, but we won't worry about that this evening. Everybody has their own story, there is no one authority that we have to, to bow to. Now, there are other reasons for the decline in preaching. A lot of it hasn't been good enough for people to want more of. A lot of it hasn't been relevant and engaging. People haven't felt the sense of God's presence in his word. And uh, if that's the reason why preaching has declined, then it's the fault of the preachers and not the fault of anybody else. But I'm sure you recognize that that the, the very idea that somebody should be standing on a kind of platform higher up than other people... Uh, They disparage preachers who who they say they they want to be above contradiction. The reason why they have high pulpits is not because the man wants to be above contradiction. It's because people wanted to see him and hear him properly. And in some of those big churches, the only way to do that was to have the man standing high up so everybody in the balcony could see him and everybody could hear him. The essential of true preaching is... Authority. That's why we're going to look this evening at Luke chapter 4 and verses 31 to 41. I want to show you here that Luke is beginning his account of Jesus' three years ministry of teaching and preaching. We didn't read verses 43, uh, sorry, 42 to 44 because they're going to be part of next Sunday. But let me just read them now. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Look at that. That is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judah. 
Now I'm going to do a kind of introduction to next week's sermon, because next week is going to deal with this matter and the next uh, chapter as well about Jesus' teaching ministry. But we're going to look this evening at the fact that in verses 31 to 41 we see that when he did speak, he spoke with authority. Look please at the very first two verses. He went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. On the Sabbath he began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. That's what we're going to look at this evening. Three simple headings. He asserts his authority, he demonstrates his authority, and then he exercises his authority. Let's start then with Jesus asserts his authority. In this passage, Luke is continuing to tell us who Jesus is. You remember that the beginning of Luke's gospel He gives us a full account of the birth of Jesus, the man. Then we have this remarkable testimony in the earlier chapter, where at his baptism, this voice comes from heaven. God's voice says, you are my son whom I love. And now what Luke is going to do is to select certain incidents from the life of Jesus. He can't tell us everything, but he's telling us some incidents from the life of Jesus to show that this man is also God. And in the opening of his three-year teaching ministry, he'll see in chapter 5 how he calls his first disciples to learn from him, to be with him, so that then can, they can then be his witnesses. Now, if you want to know what this has to do with you, go back to the very first chapter of Luke, Luke 1, and remember why Luke wrote this at all. Luke 1 and verse 4, he's writing to this man called Theophilus, and he says, I've written this account so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. We're looking at this evening to see more about Jesus, that we may be certain that he is the man who is God and he has authority. So how does Luke do this? Well, in the passage before us, he uses three stories to help us. The first one, verse 33, is about a man possessed by a demon. The next one, verse 38 onwards, is about Simon's mother-in-law, who was sick with a fever. And then in verse 40, another incident where various kinds of sicknesses and more demon-possessed people are delivered. Now, each one of these is building the picture of Jesus' authority. Even the demons that are accounted for in this chapter, they recognize who Jesus is, and some of the glorious titles of Jesus come here from the lips of the demons. Verse 34, he's called the Holy One of God. Then 41, the Son of God. 
the Messiah. Now throughout this passage, the people who are hearing all this, they're impressed. And they're impressed with Jesus' authority. You see it in verse 36 as well, where after the first uh, story, we read, the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? The same as they said earlier. But now they're saying, with authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out of him. What Luke is doing, he's beginning with this significant miracle of Jesus to show us what Jesus is really like. This isn't the first miracle Jesus did. Another gospel tells us that was Jesus turning the water into wine. But this is the first one that Luke chooses. And Luke chooses it as a kind of extreme example of Jesus' authority. Because what he's doing here is something that no man could ever do. He has this uh, unfortunate man here, very unhappy and dominated by power. He can't escape from and uh, humanly there's no hope for him. Now Jesus is going to do this because of something that we saw earlier in the chapter. Look at verse 14 of this chapter. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is how Jesus can do all the things we're going to see tonight. It's because he's speaking in the power of the Spirit. Indeed, when he goes to Nazareth, and when he's teaching in the synagogue there, he takes out this scroll, and he finds an Old Testament scroll with an Old Testament scripture, and it says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach. And Jesus says, that's what's happening now. I am the one who has this authority because I have the power of the Holy Spirit. The man God is the unique deliverer from everything that oppresses people like you and me. We need to listen and we need to learn and we need to respond to this authority because Jesus is not arguing for it. He's not claiming something he doesn't have. He's simply saying, this is who I am and I have this authority and I'm going to assert it in your presence now. So let's look, shall we, at the way in which he demonstrates his authority. Now I'm going to divide these incidents here into just three, uh, two different uh, categories, really. The first one is how he shows his authority over the supernatural world. The supernatural world. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. It actually is an unclean spirit. And uh, Spurgeon, preaching on this text, says, The devil is never very clean. I wonder what this must have been when he's called here particularly unclean. Well, this is something demonic. This is something of an extreme kind. I'm going to stop a moment here because this is something we find it difficult to grasp. We do not see 
in places like Long Crendon, this kind of demonic power. It's real, and it exists, but we don't see a great deal of it in our society around us today. We see people influenced by the devil and his power, no doubt of that at all. And there are some people who even try to shift the responsibility for their addictions by talking about their demons. They mean their addiction to gambling or to sex or to drink or to drugs. And they're somehow kind of saying, well, it's not me, it's the demons in me that are doing this. There are, however, places in the world where the culture of the devil's power has been so powerful for so long that missionaries who go to these places tell us it's actually something you can feel when you go into a village, that there is a demonic power which is dominating people, where they're actually possessed and controlled by it. I brought with me today a book which I first read over 40 years ago and uh, I lost the first copy I had. I managed to get this one secondhand from somebody not long ago. It's a story from the Amazon jungle and it's about a man called Elka who belonged to the YY tribe and he was a witch doctor. He was under the power of these demons which had been in pigs frequently in such communities demonic powers are associated with certain rivers or animals or snakes in his case it was the pigs and he became a witch doctor and in God's goodness the unevangelized field mission sent some missionaries to work amongst those people who were able to bring the Bible into his language and begin to preach to him and this man became the first convert in the YY tribe. I know this story is true because people that I've met had met him, had been there and seen this situation. There's a lovely part in this story where um, he demonstrates to his friends the fact that Christ has delivered him from these demons. What he does He goes and kills a pig. As soon as he kills the pig, they expect him to die because the demon's not going to take that lying down to let him kill them. But he's not dead when he kills the pig. Then he cooks the pig and then he puts it in the pot with the rest of the food and they all sit around watching and he says, I'm going to eat it now. And he takes his fork and he puts a piece of, of pork on the end of his, uh, his knife rather and he, he, he puts it in his mouth and they all say, he's going to die now. But he doesn't. Because Christ has delivered him from this supernatural power. My friends, this is a real world of real demonic power. Of things which are not natural. This is not an old-fashioned way of describing mental illness. Mental illness is a serious problem, but it belongs to the natural world. And if you look at verses 40 and 41, Jesus distinguishes between 
illness and demonic power. He distinguishes the things that belong to the natural world from the things that belong to the supernatural world. And he's saying here, here is something which is demonic, it's evil, it's controlling this man, and Jesus simply talks to him. He doesn't argue with him. He says in verse 35, be quiet. He says it sternly. He rebukes the evil spirit. The demon throws the man down and comes out. And the man is not injured. He's not hurt. He becomes a different character entirely. Because Jesus has demonstrated his authority over this power, this supernatural power. You're not surprising then that when the people respond in verse 36, they use the same words as they used at the beginning with what is this teaching with authority, but now they're adding something else. They're saying with authority and power. Jesus doesn't need to do anything else but to speak. And this supernatural power that's dominated this man, that's controlled him, that's ruined his life, this uncleanness has gone entirely from his life. Let's look then at the next little story in verse 38, which has about to do with the natural world. Jesus leaves the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. These are in the days before antibiotics, before modern medicines, before people knew a great deal what to do with some of the afflictions that they were subject to. A high fever could have been life-threatening in a short period of time. And they asked Jesus, what can you do? And look how he deals with it in verse 39. He bends over her, and the same word is used as is used about the demons. He rebukes the illness. And immediately the fever left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Well enough, not just to sit up and take sustenance, but well enough to get up and look after her visitors. This is a remarkable, immediate healing. We must be careful how we handle this, mustn't we? We know that Jesus is able, because he is God, he is able to cure some people instantaneously by his mere word. He is going to heal all his people of all diseases one day. If you're a Christian and you're suffering illness today, it won't be forever. Because when we get to heaven, we shall be given a new body. 
And this new body will never die. It will never have any pain. It will never have any disease. And the certainty of that is as certain as the fact that your sins are forgiven and you're going to go to heaven at all. God is going to give us new bodies and heal us of all our diseases. But sometimes, mysteriously, for reasons that we do not understand, Jesus teaches us things and takes us through experiences that may be painful and may be very distressing for us and our loved ones on the way to that ultimate complete healing. But Jesus is giving us a foretaste here. He's giving us an example here that the natural world, corrupted by what the devil has done at the fall, spoiled by the way in which sin has entered into the world and brought death with it and brought sickness and all those evil things with it. This is a world over which Jesus has authority. And here he says, I'll show you by this one example of what I can and will do. The third incident in verses 40 to 41 is not individuals, but multiples of individuals. The day is coming to an end. The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. We're not told in detail how many or what kind of sicknesses they were. But what Jesus was able to do was to show his concern for them by laying his hands on them and he healed them. What he'd done for Simon's mother-in-law, he now did for all these people who came to him, demonstrating his authority. Moreover, verse 41 says, demons came out of many people, not just an individual now, but multiples, many people. The demons were shouting, you are the son of God. What does he need to do? No paraphernalia and incantations and exorcisms. He rebukes them. He would not allow them to speak. They knew he was the Messiah. They recognized who he was. Jesus is in the process now of showing his friends and showing the people around him who he is. And so he's able to deal with the natural and the supernatural realms because he has authority. By these demonstrations of authority, Jesus is showing us that he is God. He is not merely a man. He is God. Yes, I know. The reason why he did it for these people was to deliver them. They had suffered and suffered badly. And he's a kind God. He's a loving God. He's concerned about people who are oppressed. And because he's concerned for them, he demonstrates his care. He shows that it matters to him when he sees people in this condition. There's a great demonstration of his being God 
in the fact that he cared enough about them. But there's more, isn't there? There's the fact that he's showing that he is able to deliver them because he has power over these things. In a few weeks' time, somebody will be preaching to us from Luke 5 and verse 24. Will you turn over to this for a moment, please, on the next page? Luke 5, 24. Jesus is here healing the man who was paralyzed and was let down through the roof. Do you remember this story? Very interesting. Verse 24. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He heals a paralyzed man. You would have thought it said he has authority to heal the sick. But no, he's saying, I'm going to show you that I am God. And I have authority to forgive sins. And you might not know whether his sins are forgiven if I do that. But if I heal him, you'll know that I'm God. Because nobody can do that. No man can do that. This man's been paralyzed all his life. And Jesus is deliberately saying... This is for the benefit of the paralyzed man, but it's also the part of this demonstration, this proof that he is God. In another part of the Bible, it tells us Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The devil has done a lot a lot of very bad things throughout history, in our day, in our society, in other societies as well. But Jesus came now to put that kingdom to an end and to bring in his kingdom of light. That darkness is giving place to the kingdom of light. Look at verse 43. He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He's telling them, the kingdom has come because the king has come. This authority that I have is a mark of the new world coming, where all that darkness will be gone, all those demons will have been finished with, the devil himself will be totally finished with, and he will have his kingdom of light and holiness and peace and joy forever. And it's beginning now, Jesus says, because I'm the one who has come to do it. How he did it, we shall be thinking about at the Lord's table. He did it by bearing our sins, by taking our humanity, by bearing our punishment. And even when that was happening, you know, and he was before Pilate, and Pilate was questioning him. Pilate was threatening Jesus and saying, you know, I've got the power to do with you whatever I like. And Jesus said, you don't have any authority over me, except what's given to you from above. I have authority, Jesus said, to lay down my life and to take it again. The power and authority that Jesus had is inherent in his being man and God in one person. So this evening, 
what's this got to do with us? How can we see Jesus exercising his authority today? We've got to be certain of these things, Luke says. That's why he's writing it for us. That's why we're looking at it tonight, that we may certain of these things. How does the exercise of that authority matter to us? I'm going to look briefly at three texts. The first of them is very familiar to you. It's right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28 and verse 18. Jesus is on the mountainside about to take leave of his disciples and this is what he says, Matthew 28:18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus exercises his authority in world mission. We who know his authority, we who recognize who he is, are now the subject to his authority. He is telling us to do something. He's telling us to go and to make disciples. He's telling us to spread this message, this good news of Jesus. The kingdom has come because Jesus has come and he's sending it out to the whole world through his servants. Now, humanists often accuse us Christians. What right have you got to go to disturb these lovely people living in their huts in the jungle and having such a peaceable life and you go and upset all their views by telling them about a book, an old-fashioned book and something that happened hundreds of years ago. What right have you got to go and do that? Well, our friends who go and do that kind of work tell us that underneath they're often very unhappy people because they're often dominated by darkness and sin and demonic powers and so on. But in a sense, we don't have any authority to do it. But Jesus has. And he has told us to go and do this in his name. The authority we have for taking this message of Jesus into foreign parts and into our own communities is that of Jesus. Now we've had a very, very interesting example, haven't we? this week, of the matter of people telling us we have no right as Christians to speak up about social issues. This marriage matter that we've been asked to sign a petition about, and I hope you've done that, you can do it this evening. We're told we have no right to impose our minority views upon the whole of society. Well, if it were only our minority views, we wouldn't have any right What authority have we got to tell people that marriage is between a man and a woman? It's because God has said so. And it's his authority. And he knows what's good for all the people of the world. He knows what's good for those people who don't know him and don't think about him. He knows what's best for them. And the authority is given to us in his word is the authority by which we are sent out to tell other people about him. That's the first way 
in which I want you to go home tonight and realize that's not just a topic that tells us what Jesus did a long time ago. It's something that matters to us today. We do have the right to tell people who God in Jesus is and how his love is as great as his power. It's for the good of people that this is how his word and authority is being exercised. The second text I want you to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4. Paul is writing to the Corinthians because some of them were accusing him of having no authority. And so he talks about his preaching. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. His authority is seen in gospel preachers. Let's be clear about this. The authority with which I stand here and speak to you tonight is not because I have been in office in any church. At the moment, I don't actually. It's certainly not because of any intellectual gifts or academic qualifications I may or may not have. You know only too well, it's certainly because I'm not some sort of celebrity personality that as soon as he comes onto the stage, everybody says, look who he is. It's not because I have a loud voice and shout a lot. It's not because I have some experience of how to do this. It's because the word is the word of Jesus and the authority is the authority of his Holy Spirit. I call on any of you here tonight who is rebelling against the authority of God, I call upon you to repent. I call upon any one of you here who is doubting whether Jesus can deal with your problems. And I call you to trust him. I call upon any one of you here who tonight feels somehow that you're hurting and grieving and not sure whether anybody cares. I call upon you to fall into the arms of Jesus who is waiting to embrace you and to deliver you. But my friends, I don't say any of this on my own authority. I call upon you to respond to him because it's his authority. It's his word and it's his spirit. And that's why preaching is so important. Preaching is not just lecturing. It's not the exercise of 
horizontal teaching in which one man or woman teaches another. It is something vertical. It's something whereby God gives his authority to Jesus who grants his gifts to his servants that his word may be brought with authority to those who need him. If you don't believe in that kind of preaching, don't come here anymore. The third way in which he exercises his authority, you'll find in John chapter 17. In John 17, Jesus is praying. He's praying for his church. He's praying for his people. In verse 1 he says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. If you belong to Jesus, if you're one of those who has been given life by Jesus, you are under his authority. The way in which he exercised his authority is by his being Lord of our lives. Now the Bible's full of lovely pictures about what it means to be a Christian. It says we're like sheep under the care of a shepherd. It says we're part of a body under the authority of Jesus the head. It says we're part of a kingdom and Jesus is the king within the Christian life. We are not independent. We are not those who are all the time arguing against authority. We are saying he loves me and he cares enough about me to use his authority over me so that I can be his follower and I can demonstrate to the world there is such a thing as living in the light, as being freed from darkness, of being a child of this gracious God and a servant of this wonderful Saviour. And that's only going to be seen by others if we submit to his authority. Now that's not easy. Submission to the authority of Jesus is something we are bound to do as his children. But it's hard to do because sometimes his authority means things that are not comfortable to us, not agreeable to us. Sometimes they don't even seem sensible to us. But what are we to do? We are to say, this Jesus has such authority that not with grudging reluctance, but with grateful joy, I'm going to say, my Jesus knows best. He loves me. And I'm going to be able to show by my submission to his authority, that this is not a subject true only in Luke's day, for when Jesus was on the earth, 
It's true today for us as we submit to the authority of Jesus in our lives. We must come to a close. The basic Bible truth is that the Jesus of Luke's Gospel is our Lord today. What we've seen in these stories is a reminder of what he can do today. I'm going to read this, these two verses of the hymn we sang earlier. I want you to think about them as I read them. And then I want you to use them as a prayer before we close this part of the service. Once more the evening comes and we, oppressed with various ills, draw near. Now what kind of ills have you got? What are the things that are bugging you? What are the things that are worrying you? What are the things that are holding you back? What are the things that you can't get rid of yourself? Whatever ills they are, we are oppressed with various ills, but we're drawing near to Jesus. We can't see him. Though your form we cannot see, we know and feel that you are here. How do we know that? He's promised to be here. He said he will be with us. And he doesn't break his promises. That's what his authority means. Your touch has still its ancient power. This Jesus is the same today, yesterday and forever. He still has that power. No word from you can fruitless fall. Human words, of course, can fail. But this is his word, and he has said it, and he will achieve his purposes through it. Meet with us in this evening hour, and in your mercy, heal us all. It is mercy that accompanies his power. Spend a moment then just quietly looking at these verses and thinking about them in respect of your life.